Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Being well-known for determination, compassion, and a sense of humor, Rusty has used these skills to recreate her life after a messy divorce, abuse, and severe poverty. She is deeply devoted to motherhood and her work to, to inspire others. She believes that lack is not, not meant to be part of anyone's destiny. It is also one of Rusty's hopes to reignite the spark within and help people take just one more step forward and not to give up. Rusty's latest book, The Truth About Poverty, is her personal story about fighting severe poverty through most of her life. She is in, is in great hopes that this story will engage her readers to do something to help create change in and for a very changeable situation. Well, thank you for being here today, Rusty. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Leica. Well, thank you. Well, let's start back when you were a little girl. Were you born into poverty? I was. We were, um, my birth mother was a teenager, and this was back in a time period where women were frowned upon in a, in a space geographically that it was frowned upon to be a pregnant mother that early, Un, unwed, of course. In the South, that was a cardinal sin. Um, so she didn't learn how to drive until her 30s maybe 40s so it was a you know it was a challenge to get a job she didn't graduate high school um so her world was very limited and so you grew up in those footsteps and you started to step in those footsteps is that right I don't know I don't know what that means but um I did grow up in those in in severe poverty I was abandoned again at the age of 13 and so I lived in and out of the street and foster care until I was 18, and I moved out on my own from the foster care world. So I graduated high school, graduated college. Oh, that's um, a challenge. You got through college and high school yeah. uh, supporting yourself. That's a huge challenge. It was a determination to break the cycle, and I'm I'm very pig-headed, <laughs> so when when I set my mind to something I'm laser focused and I keep going until I get it done. So then you got into a very nasty marriage situation as well. How, how did that transpire? I think I, because of the circumstances of my childhood and living in poverty and, and child abuse and, and domestic violence, I developed this compassionate side of myself where I feel like I need to fix and rescue everyone Right. And here was this broken man, supposedly, you know, his wife before me was this wretched person who did all of these things. And, and, and years later, I realized it was a, just a, a worm on a hook for him. Um, but I kept trying and trying and trying because over the years he made me realize how stupid I was and how inadequate I was and all of these things. Um, 
So in the toxic relationship that I had, I, I blamed myself for not being good enough to make him better. Um, and then I almost died. And that was a, a eye opener as to what I want in my life and how I want to raise my daughter. How did that come about? Was that because of an abusive relationship? No, actually, I uh, ended up with a severe gallbladder um, disease when I finally got pregnant. And when they removed my gallbladder, some of the stones got stuck in my bile duct, causing sepsis. And so I was dying. And the doctor was explaining what he needed to do in front of my ex-husband. And my ex-husband was more concerned about getting to work and how angry and irritated he was that we were taking up his time. Oh, how dare you inconvenience him like that? Yeah. As the doctor said, I had 72 hours to live. So that was a real eye-opener because when he walked out of the room, I realized that this was not a marriage of love and he will never love me and I'll never be good enough. Um, it was a marriage to ensure that he had the house and the car and the keeping up with the Johnsons kind of social. When did that. you wake up, Rusty, and start uh, to realize there was a better life out there that you could live and start to command? It was then. It was then. It was a real, that was a real kick in the gut when you find out that you're getting ready to die. You have a, your six-week-old baby in your lap and your ex-husband's telling you how inconvenienced he is. Did you leave him <laughs> so, at that point? That was, that, was, that was the big cosmic hit, yeah. And so when after my surgery and after my release of the hospital, I started to um, go to therapy secretively. And he never knew I went during my lunch break. And I started working out those fears and that um, insecurity of what it would be like to be on my own because 17 years of that, what is the world like? And will my daughter be safe? Will I be safe? That sort of thing. And so it was a five-year journey of really getting to the place where I could physically leave and feel strong enough that wow, um, it, was, it was the best interest for both of us. And that, that's so you left on your own with your little daughter and getting into your life. Um, how hard was that, just stepping out of the door into something that was unknown? The first year was really quite smashing. I lost 40 pounds. I started sleeping at night. I would come home and feel happy. Um, I wasn't afraid of what was going to come in after me. You know, my ex-husband would flip like a switch, so you never knew what was coming in the door. So the stress and the tension and the nervous anxiousness really started to dissipate. Um, and when I started dating, he became quite stalking and viral. And, and it was really bad. We ended up on murder-suicide watch with the local police because his behavior became so awful. And it continued and continued over the years, um, even to this day, and it's been 10 years, he still he still tries to be intimidating and threatening and, and harassing. Um, now it, it's, I'm 1500 miles away, so I'm less worried. I also have a protective order. Um, so I'm less worried, but you know, it's still kind of peeking around the corner. Well, there are plates that get people around the world in minutes. So it's not totally protected, but it's better than the situation you were in. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was in a state that um, does not acknowledge domestic violence at all, does not have any stalking laws and does not acknowledge child abuse. Um, so my daughter and I went through quite, quite an extensive abusive 
few years with a court system that continued to fail us. Oh, that's terrible. And, and I, I, I feel deeply for you. What would you tell somebody as advice who was in a situation like you are, were in? I think the only thing you can really do is realize that um, you can only do for you. And people are not necessarily going to support you through your trauma. I found that out the hard way. You know, a lot of the people that I thought were my close friends that were genuinely as close as a sister or brother would be were not. They were more interested in the drama. And that was pretty hurtful. Um, But I did. I cut a lot of ties. I realized who the people were that were genuine, which were very few in comparison to (laughs) how many showed up in in my life. Um, And I started working on, on my inner work and started realizing that everything that I did and every reaction that I had and every step that I took, I had two little blue eyes watching everything that I did. And so that's a lot of pressure. You know, you want to make sure your child doesn't fall in the same footsteps. Now, how is your child doing now? How old's your daughter now? She is amazing. Thank you for asking. She's my favorite person on the whole planet. She is 15. We just got her driver's permit last Friday. So that was kind of scary. I didn't realize I was that old. Um, I think that some of the hardest days in your life is when the child says, I'm going to be driving now because, uh, oh, they can do anything at any time of the day. And you're going to be up all night waiting for them whenever they come home. And you're always afraid of that accident, that phone call that says your child was involved in an accident, ma'am. You know, I, I worry less about her because she she is 15 and she attends college in the morning and she attends high school in the afternoon. So she's very dedicated to being um, a dermatologist. That's her focus. And oh, wow. so wow. I, I worry less about her than I did her sister. <laughs> and I worry less about her than I do a lot of her peers. Wow. Um, well, that, that's good. It sounds like she is growing up in a life that you would have loved to live in. Amen. Amen. Now, you've written a book about growing up in poverty. Now, some bright people have said that writing a book is really therapy therapy for yourself. Is that what your book's all about? Oh, that's a great question. I actually think of life perspective, and I think you don't know what you don't know until you know. A lot of people misunderstand poverty, and a lot of people misunderstand how people get to where they are. Um, And if I'm able to shine the light on a different perspective as to how you don't have to be an alcoholic and you don't have to be a drug addict and, you know, you don't have to be a loser on all of these other negative things that, that swirl around when it comes to people talking about poverty it, it's an eye-opener and it's perspective as to the lack of compassion and as to how our economic system is really set up to fail people who are poor, make it harder for them to get up. Uh, you know, they say that most of our jails are filled with poor people and that 90% of people that are on any type of jail is because they didn't have the right lawyers or the right system to help support them. Exactly. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I think it's largely true. I'll tell you that in my in my post-divorce 10-year battle with my ex-husband, um, which is another book, um, he had a lawyer and I couldn't afford one. 
no lawyer would take my part of the case without a $500,000 retainer. Um, and the reason being was because I made the case public. I've been on TV all over the world, radio all over the world, written books, articles. Um, and so that made it a more contentious position. Yes, and it certainly makes the legal beagles wanting to make money because that's how they make money. They bill by the minute and they bill by the hour. So that's certainly something they love to get into. Absolutely. So they, you know, they wanted to take advantage of a sad story, which should not have escalated to the level that it did. But because of the way the legal system is here in the United States, it's who can lie the best and who has the most nepotistic relationship in that court. And that's how you win. It's not about justice. It's not about truth. It's not about what's right. Um, it's about who can lie the best and have the best ties with the judge. And that's very unfortunate. And I grew up believing in the justice system and really believing that if I absolutely ever needed it, it would prevail. And it, it did not. It actually hurt my daughter and continued uh, years of abuse by her father. Well, sad when the justice system is not just. And, and certainly, I, I suspect that, you know, it, the old line is you're guilty until proven innocent. You're exactly. innocent until proven guilty. But often it's guilty until proven guilty or there's no innocence whatsoever. And uh, it's a, almost a crapshoot, you know, when, when it comes through. It's like when somebody wins, it's like 51% they won, not, not 100% they won. Right. And I mean, you'd, you'd have to read the book. It was really, it was really eye-opening as to how. So did it act as some sort of therapy for you as well, Rusty? It was, it was anger management. You know, I'm not an angry person and I don't have any desire for violence or anything, but swearing a lot felt pretty good. <laughs> I will tell you, <laughs> you know. Pointing out, uh, you know, it's, they say it's not hard to write a book. All you have to do is slit your wrists and bleed. And that's basically <laughs> everything. That's so the truth. I, I know I've written about 20 books and each one of them was a catharsis. Each one of them was a difficult task. And I needed a good editor always to put my words together after I put them on paper, because what I said and what I wanted to say were totally different things. Well, and that's the part where you get back into the poverty piece when you don't have the resources. I don't have family. I don't have, you know, I, my bank account was wiped out by my ex-husband with all these legal proceedings. I was in court every four to six months with him. Um, and each time you step into court, there's some fee filing this, filing that, lawyer this, blah, 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 you know. And $23,000 within a year was gone. And that's all I had. So trying to rebuild our lives it, it's baby steps so editing i have to do on my own and i'm not an editor by any stretch of the imagination i'm hoping that um one day i can afford an editor and i would be able to crank out a few more books a lot faster because i have the the basis um but editing myself is quite quite the job as you can imagine yes and, and you know there's different letter layers of editing one is just words making sure that the words are spelled correctly another one is meaning another one is sentences and the third one is the whole book has to be edited in a way so that it all comes out properly right so exactly layers are very difficult to do and you can't do them at the same time you have to do them all at different times right 
Yeah, it, it's a process. I, I, I think, you know, anybody can write a book in, in a week, but editing it takes months and months and months and years. My first book took me at least 10 years to write because it had to be edited and re-edited and re-edited. I, I, what are you what are you up to these days what are you up to today for example what keeps you <laughs> enthralled and what keeps you going and what keeps you excited well i have to tell you i live in probably one of the most beautiful places in the world i live on the west coast of florida south florida and today the sky is just translucent blue the breeze is nice and cool the butterflies and the, the wild animals are floating around because we live in Jurassic Park. So that's a blessing every day. Um, I am part of a competition called Favorite Chef right now, and I should know if I win or not tomorrow. <laughs> so that would be a $50,000 um, bonus and a article in Bon Appetit where I wow, could... Would that be a nice uh, cherry for you if you That would be a huge grass. cherry, Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. the, the amount of work I could do would be amazing with that. Um, I'm working on another book. It'll be my 16th book on how to love yourself, 30 days to loving yourself. Fantastic. And being a mom and healing and doing my podcast. And, and I think also at one point I heard that you were a reverend as well. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm a universalist reverend. Good. So do you perform ceremonies and, and attend at, at, at very important times in people's lives? I do. And um, it's really beautiful to watch people transition in whatever form they need to transition to. Considering where my perspective comes from, life is a beautiful roller coaster ride. And, you know, we're not getting out of it alive. So you might as well kick up your feet and have some fun. Um, but it, it's nice. It's nice to be a part of this sun sentimental pieces of people's lives. I think it's very um, touching. I, I think that's very important as well. I think people have to live their lives to their fullest. And, and I think you epitomize what I wrote about in my book and that it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. That was written by a Greek slave over 2000 years ago by the name of Epictetus. I and, know. I love Epictetus. And he became a free man. So he obviously did many things right in his life in order to be given that privilege of being a free man. You know, I think if all of us were slaves and picked up the yoke and had to prove ourselves, I think all of us would be better for it. Again, it's about perspective. I don't think that you can do something that you don't understand, relate to, feel, smell, touch. And until you put your feet in that walking path it, it doesn't exist for you um socrates was also wonderful in a lot of philosophy about moving forward and detaching and letting go and not allowing things to worry you or, or bring you down because it's not going to really change much and I think that's true. I think, you know, we set our own horizons. We set our own boundaries. And I think most people live in prisons of their own making and do not get out of it just because it's the sameness that keeps them going. I agree with you 100%. And I, as I always say in every every show, when I become president, 
um, I'm going to make it mandatory and where people travel, you need to step outside of your box. You need to, you know, that's one of the saddest things that I see that's happened during the pandemic is we haven't been able to travel and experience new things. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't agree with that, Dr. Leica. And and here's my stance, you know, 20, 30 years ago, no, we would not, we would have been really stuck. Um, but currently in the last year, I've been to Spain, Thailand, I've been to Germany twice, I've been to Australia seven Good times. Good for you. Good for you. But it's all because of technology. I mean, I'm talking to you from Florida and you're in Canada. So right. there, there's, there's ways to step outside of the box right now. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Right now, where our country is more or less in a lockdown, we're not allowing people to travel and come back in very easily. There's ways to do it, but it makes it very difficult. So I'm waiting for those days to get lifted. Yes, I, I think hundreds of people are. I know I've got the itch to get in my car and just go camp up in the Grand Canyon myself. <laughs> well, Rusty, we're almost at our end. How can people get in touch with you if they would like to? I am very easy. Uh, it's Rusty, R-U-S-T-I-E dot info. Um, and you'll find all my links to my blogs and medium pages and all of that stuff there. That, that's very easy. I, I love it when people have an easy signature because it's otherwise too hard. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, have a fantastic day, Rusty. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you, Dr. Leica. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.